we are uh, in this series on getting ready for Christmas. And um, this, I was with some people a couple weeks ago, friends of ours, over at their house and eating. And they were telling us about all the things that they do to get ready for Christmas. And, uh, you know, they put the lights up and things like that. They make some cookies. But then they begin to tell me all the things that they bake. And so we're talking about all kinds of fudge, um, their own homemade cheese balls, um, all kinds of breads, and again, all kinds of cookies. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a lot for one couple to do. And they're like, we love it. It's a part of our getting ready for Christmas. And for the, some of the things they give away to other people is others they just eat throughout the Christmas season. And uh, I was like, I wonder what are some of the things you guys do? So I want you to just say somebody to the next person next to you, um, this is what I love to do to get ready for Christmas. I'll give you 10 seconds and just tell somebody next to you what you love to do to get ready for Christmas. <laughs> Some of you are not getting ready for Christmas. Some of you are like, oh, well, we need to start getting ready for Christmas. Okay. So it's easy to talk about all the things that we do to get ready for Christmas. Here's what I want you to think about in a fresh way today. Not so much what you and I do to get ready for Christmas, but what God did to get ready for Christmas. Before there was even a word called Christmas, before anybody knew what Christmas was about, God was getting ready for Christmas. And it's one of the reasons that we you know, do all the preparations, the, the, the Advent season, the putting up the lights, all the things that we do to prepare ourselves. Some people don't know this. We actually got that idea by watching how God prepared our world for Christmas, the coming of Christ. Christmas just means Christ mass, Christ celebration. And so the celebration of Christ, again, before there was that word Christmas, God was getting people ready. And Luke, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, I think Luke tells the best story of how God got ready for Christmas. And it's a cool picture to, un to unveil. Actually, we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. If you're new, we're preaching our way through the gospel of Luke. And here in the chapters one and starting next week, chapter two, we're actually going through the nativity story as we work our way through the gospel of Luke. And uh, we're gonna see all kinds of different ways that Luke is casting this vision, telling a story. Actually, think about Luke more as a storyteller, as a, like a movie producer than uh, a gospel writer. Because you know, as we work our way through the gospel of Luke, we're doing one section at a time, a couple verses at a time. And we study them and we focus on them just for a couple minutes or a couple days. But when Luke wrote his gospel, it was not intended to be studied for this word or that verse. Actually, there weren't even any verses when he wrote. He wrote it as a story. And it was the story of God preparing the world for Christmas. It was the story of God coming to our world in Jesus. And it was a story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the gospel of Luke is meant to be read in one sitting as a story not meant to be studied one verse at a time or one section at a time, but I'm breaking it down into small sections because when you read it as one story, you miss so many of the cool things that Luke is doing and so many of the powerful messages that he's sending 
for instance, today, the, some of the things I want to share with you today, I, I never would have seen these things if I was just reading through the Gospel of Luke in one sitting. But by studying it, listening to the Holy Spirit, and, and just waiting on God, God showed me some things that I want to share with you today that I'm really excited about. But having said that, can I invite you maybe once or twice this Christmas season, and then over and over as we continue to preach through the Gospel of Luke, would you be willing to sit down or stand up in one sitting, in one, in one uh, section, and read the whole Gospel? Anybody want to volunteer to do that? Read the whole Gospel. Uh, if you are a really fast reader, and I don't mean speed reading, if you're just a fast reader, you could probably read the whole Gospel of Luke in an hour hour and seven minutes, maybe. If you're a slow reader, it might may take you two, three hours, but probably everybody could read the whole Gospel of Luke in a couple hours, maybe three hours. I say to you, that is three hours well spent. So maybe during Christmas or after, you just sit down and read the whole Gospel and see that big picture, and then join us on Sundays as we then narrow down, get the macro view and then the micro view as we press in. And, you know, so you, you, nobody watches a movie, you know, two minutes at a time. Oh, let's, we're done with that. You don't watch a movie five minutes at a time. You watch the whole movie. So read the movie, read the Gospel of Luke in one story, in one setting. And what you'll see, is, especially in these first couple chapters, is that Luke is recording the story that God is telling of how he got ready. Luke's telling us, this is the things that God was doing to get ready for Christmas. And it's easy to miss because the first chapter of Luke starts off with all these stories of these people, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and you, and you get caught up in each one of their vignettes, each one of their stories, but, but Luke helps us see what God's doing by showing how God was moving in those people. So it's not just their story, it's God weaving his story through their lives. So let me just do a you know, 15 second review. You know, after the introduction in verses one through four, an angel appears to Zechariah, we preached about that. Then verses 26 through 38, an angel appears to Mary. Two angel appearances back to back, amazing. And then verses 39 to 45, Mary's so excited about what the angel told her that she goes, takes a trip to see her relatives, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then in verses 46 through 56, Mary sings this song of praise. And then last week we saw how Zechariah was started to see God fulfill his, his message. And you can see these maybe as chapter headings in your Bible or just ways to break down, but there's something going on deeper in each one of these vignettes. And this is what I want you to see. For instance, when this angel appears to Zechariah, what's happening is that the angel says, your son will prepare the way for this guy named Jesus, this coming Messiah. We're all excited about the angel, all excited about Zechariah, all excited about a son, but Zechariah says it's, or Gabriel says, it's actually about Jesus. Next story, the angel appears to Mary. Well, that's all about you're gonna have a son and we're gonna name him Jesus. See a theme going here? Next section, Mary visits Zechariah and Elizabeth and she's all excited, they're all excited. Elizabeth says, blessed is a child. Who's that? Jesus who you will bear than the last section, Mary's song of praise. It's all about how God is keeping his promises through Jesus. You see the theme? The, the word, the name Jesus only shows up once, I think, in the whole first chapter. But the first chapter is all about Jesus, not Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, but Jesus' name 
and Jesus's message and his coming being woven through there. So you could write down, God gets ready for Christmas by showing, or Luke says that God gets ready for Christmas by showing how God was moving in people's lives, but they're all speaking about Jesus. And what we're gonna see as we move through this passage is that God has been planning this for centuries. Before anyone knew about the coming of Jesus, God was speaking to this prophet. God was revealing to this person, making promises. And the people who of that day were trying to piece these together like, like a crossword puzzle, trying to figure out how these pieces all went together. And in Luke chapter one, it begins to get unfolded. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago in the section about Zechariah, the angel appearing to him, Zechariah, who's a man of God, he's a priest who loves God and who was waiting for the Messiah, couldn't fathom how God would work in his life at such an old age. This is a good message for any of us who feel old, that God loves to work in everybody's lives, and especially in the Christmas story, in old people's lives. And Zechariah's response to the angel was like, I don't know, I'm an old guy. My wife is kind of old too. I don't think this is going to work. And we saw how in verse 20, the angel says to him, okay, this is such a big deal. It's not a small thing. This is such a big deal. I'm gonna put you in timeout for nine months. That's, that's my interpretation of you will be silent and not able to, everybody say this word with me out loud. It, speak, very important word. Say it again. Speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You don't see it, Zechariah. This is huge. I mean, that's why I'm here, Gabriel. Angels don't just pop into human space, you know, for no reason. This is a really big deal. And then last week, the guys that preached, all three, all of them did a great job, helped us walk through the story of when Zechariah received his voice. So John the Baptist was born. What the angel said came true. And John's father, Zechariah, got his voice, but we never got to hear last week what Zechariah said when he got his voice. Now remember, he hasn't spoken for nine months. And the last words he said were words of doubt and unbelief. What will be the first words out of his mouth when he finally speaks after nine months? So to find out, Stand with me and let's read now our passage for today. Luke chapter one. And um, you'll see pretty quickly the first words out of his mouth. Luke chapter one, verse 67. Here we go. John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Here's the word. Praise. First word. Praise be to the Lord the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then Zechariah turns to his newborn child, John, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High 
for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation to the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel as the prophet. So you may be seated. So I pointed out this word, praise, and you know, I was just visiting with a family recently who just had a newborn, and there's all kinds of excitement. It's their first kid. They're praising God, thanking God, and there's full of excitement. I can remember, even though it was a long time ago, the excitement that we had, my wife and I, because we had a hard time having kids, had some miscarriages. And so when we finally got pregnant and that, that pregnancy went to full term, we had a baby. We're praising God. We're thanking God. I get Zechariah. It's so exciting what he's praising God for, the birth of his son. But this birth of his son, John, actually doesn't show up in his words of praise. It's kind of strange. He's a brand new father. He's been waiting nine months. He hasn't spoken. He's praising God, but watch what he praises God for instead of his son. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Now, wait, wait, wait a minute. John the Baptist is not the redeemer. Jesus hasn't been born. What's Zechariah doing? Well, he's prophesying. And he's so excited about Jesus, even though he doesn't mention his name, the excitement of him being a new father has worn off in an instant because he's more excited about Jesus, about what God's gonna do. Watch this. He has raised up a horn of salvation. The word horn, that's just a biblical way of, of saying a power. A horn of an animal was where the power resided. So a mighty salvation, a powerful Salvation, of course, saving you and I from our sins is a powerful deed. So he has raised up the powerful salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And this is getting more clear. John is not from the line of David. Zechariah's not talking about John. Who's he talking about? Just tell me his name. Yes, exactly right. His message, he's excited about his John, but his message is speaking, there's that word, speaking all about Jesus. In fact, this is not in your notes, but I'm gonna rip through the passage I just read and I'm gonna help you see, I think like seven or eight different ways that Zechariah prophesies, not about his son, but about Jesus. So this first thing, he's praising God that God has come, that's Jesus, God, man, has come. So he praises God for Jesus. Remember, I'm gonna go fast. In verse 68, for his redemption. So Jesus has come to redeem us. Uh, verse 69, he's raised up the powerful salvation. So Jesus has come to save us. This is what Zechariah is praising God for. Uh, verse 70, more about salvation through his prophets. So Jesus fulfills all the prophecies. We've talked about this previous days. Down in verse 72, to show mercy. So Jesus is the one that brings God's mercy. And then in verse 73, uh, in 72 and 73, he talks about this covenant. Jesus is the one that, that fulfills 
the covenant that God's promised for all these years. There's more. Verse 74, to rescue us from our enemies and to help us serve God without fear. Jesus rescues us from fear. Verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. We've already seen that picture of salvation, but now it's the forgiveness of sins as well. So Jesus forgives our sins. All of this shining into those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus gives light to those in darkness. And then finally, this language of guiding our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah is all about, watch, I'm gonna cram it all on one page now, all about Jesus, that Jesus has come to redeem us, to save us, to, to fulfill God's prophecies, to show the mercy, to fulfill God's covenant, to save us from fear and sins, and all these things. Zechariah is absolutely caught up focusing on Jesus. Wow, he's got a brand new son. Everybody else is all excited. What is happening here? Well, God is doing something in Zechariah's life that is absolutely historic and as wonderful and amazing, and I would even say miraculous, as the birth of a child is, and as special, especially as a firstborn child is, the historic moment that Zechariah is stepping into is much bigger than the joy, the thrill, the excitement of having your first child especially when you're maybe in your 80s. So let's back, look back into this text, and I want you to see a phrase that I skipped right over that I want to focus in on now that begins us to help us see the significance of this historic moment. And it is a significant moment that, that is still impacting you and me to this day, but is a is a historic moment that gets lost. I've never heard a Christmas sermon like I'm going to preach today. I wasn't planning on preaching this message. I had a whole different direction planned for today's sermon. But this week, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to something that I'm like, Whoa, this is incredible. And so I'm falling over myself wanting to share it to you. So the verse, verse we looked at, his father Zechariah, Here's the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you may be surprised to hear that that is the first time in the whole Bible that that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, happens. This is a historic moment. God is giving us a sneak peek into something huge. I, I, I can't say this big enough. Huge that he's about to, Unleashed, he's about to unveil on the earth. And this language of the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit is the key. And while you see words here or there about the Spirit in the Old Testament, like, I mean, actually, the first chapter of the first book, Genesis 1 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, The Spirit of God was hovering. So in the second verse of the whole Bible, we're introduced to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then his name gets mentioned throughout the Bible and the Spirit comes upon this person or you know, helps this person. But this phrase, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit has never happened in the Bible or in history until this moment. Well, actually to this chapter, I'll show you in a second. But while it's never shown up before, it only shows up eight more times or seven more times, eight times in total in the whole Bible. And guess where all of those eight times are? 
they are at the hand of the gospel writer named Luke. The guy who wrote the book we're reading, the one we're studying, he wrote two books, one called the Gospel of Luke and one called the Book of Acts. And so this phrase for the Holy Spirit shows up three times in the Gospel of Luke and five times in the Book of Acts. There's your eight. Nobody else, well, Matthew, Mark, John, Paul, all talk about the Spirit. The only one who uses this significant phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, is Luke. And we're going to get to the five times in the book of Acts in a second. But this blew me away when I saw this this week. That the three times, and there's 24 chapters in the book of Luke. And the three times that this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, shows up, it's all in chapter 1, the chapter we're studying. So let me, let me take you into these three times. It's incredible what God's showing me here. This first time is in verse 15, where the he is John the Baptist. Okay, the angel is in verse 15. The angel Gabriel is saying that your son will be, there's the phrase, exact phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the crazy part, even before he's born. Um, I, some people know about a, a podcast that we've created at Open Door called The Cutting Room Floor. And uh, the idea came from, uh, even though I have, so, there's so many things that I share with you on a Sunday morning, I've got tons of stuff that I don't have time to share. I mean, no one wants to hear a five-hour sermon, but I've got so many goodies that I want to share that I just like didn't have time for it. So we created this podcast to, called The Cutting Room Floor because it stands for when people used to make films and they would edit them, they would cut out, they would cut out pieces of the film and they would just fall onto the floor. And so, you know, there would be all this B-roll from a movie, but there would only be an hour and a half of the actual movie. Well, I've got 15 hours of B-roll but only, you know, short sermons, because I preach really short sermons. But there's, you're not allowed to laugh about that. There's all these pieces of the cutting room floor that I leave out. And so I talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, this crazy idea of the Holy Spirit filling John before he's even born. But that's just getting started. The next person, verse 41, is John's mother, Elizabeth. And same phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Ooh. And then we just read about the third time, verse 67, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, John's dad, same phrase, exact phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. What's happening here? By the way, uh, dad, mom, son, this is a spirit-filled family. <laughs> this, is the, this is the only family in the Bible that's described, you know, obviously as a spirit-filled family. I hope your family is. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a light kind of way. I hope you are living your life filled with the Holy Spirit because this is not something that was just for these people. What was happening? Here's the historic moment. What was happening is that the Holy Spirit is beginning a new era. In Luke chapter one, in these three phrases that get skipped over at every Christmas message, these three phrases filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing the big picture. This is a new era that God is launching. You and I are in this era. And it starts in Luke chapter one with these thrice, you know, holy, 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 filled, filled, filled. There's three times of this exact phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. God's doing something here. And yes, it's about Jesus, but it's not just about Jesus because God 
a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is fully engaged in the incarnation. God's all engaged in this Christmas, in this coming to earth. And so God the Father is doing something. God the Son is doing something. He's being born. God the Spirit is doing something. And we're getting a peek into this historic moment that begins at the hand of of Luke. Nobody else seems to see this in this language of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we'll start with Zechariah and go back because I want you to see something about each one of these people, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, that not only are they the first ones to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that exact phrase, but there is something even more powerful about that filling that impacts you, are supposed to impact you and I today. So let's walk back now through these, through these three times. We'll start with Zechariah this time. Fill with the Holy Spirit and prophesy. Now, that word scares some people. They're like, whoa, what does that mean? Is that like a crazy guy who's, you know, saying wild things? Not at all. Prophesied is simply meaning to speak. Prophesying simply means to speak a message from God. Don't make it crazy. It's simple. It's, It's very straightforward. He's filled with the Spirit, and he is now to speak a message from God, because that's what prophecy is. Now, sometimes that that speaking a message from God is declaring a a word from the Lord. There's times when I'm preaching, when I feel the Holy Spirit come upon me in a powerful way, and I realize I'm prophesying. And I'm I'm not telling the future. That's what most people think about when they think about prophesying or prophecy. But prophesying is this telling forth, declaring the word of the Lord with power, and also to predict the future. And we like to give a lot of attention to this one, but the Bible gives much more attention to this one. Someone being, watch, filled with the Spirit to speak a message from God. Let's say that together. Filled with the Spirit to speak a message from God. That's what we see happening with this simple but historic move of the Holy Spirit. So let me help you see that exact same pattern now in Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. We're in verse 41. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that. What's the very next thing that happens? She speaks. In a loud voice, she exclaims. What is she doing? She's declaring that, um, whoops. She's declaring that um, this child that Mary has is a very special child. We'll get to that in a second. So Zechariah, Elizabeth, and now John, the three people that have been filled with the Spirit. Well, Later on in our passage, verse 76, I think, yep, um, uh, the angel um, uh, Zechariah prophesies that he will be a prophet, and we now know that a prophet speaks a message from God. A prophet is filled with the Spirit to speak a message from God. So not only with these three people who are filled with the Spirit, first time in the Bible, but the second thing about them is that each one of them are filled with the Spirit so that they can speak a message from God that's permanent to that particular moment. I want you to see this because it's not just in the Gospel of Luke. I told you that in the book of Acts, Luke writes the same pattern. Day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And that's what everybody thinks. That's where the Holy Spirit first shows up. But no, he shows up in Luke chapter one. But watch what happens. Everyone's filled with the Spirit. Exact same phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They speak. 
there's something going on here. Acts chapter four, Peter, same exact phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. I mean, it's an undeniable pattern that when God fills someone with the Spirit, it's so that they will speak, but not just anything, speak a message from God. And man, do we need to hear from God today. Amen? Not just today, this date, December 11th, but in this day, we need to hear a message from God. Not fake messages, not people who are just excited about something that that they think God said, but actually a word from the Lord. We need to hear a message from God. God says, I'm sending them. Because my plan is to fill people with the Holy Spirit so they will speak a message from God. But there's one more thing I want you to see. It's not just any old message. Watch what Peter does in this passage. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he says to them, the them is a group of people who are upset, religious people, who are upset because Peter healed a man. I mean, God healed him, but he did it through Peter. This is what's happening in Acts chapter three and four. And, and they're upset with him about it. And so Peter stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and elders of the people, it is by the name of Jesus that this man stands before you healed. In other words, the three things I want you to see is God is filling people with his Holy Spirit so they can speak a message from God. And that message is a message about Jesus. Those three things together is the historic thing that God's doing in Luke 1. We haven't gotten yet to Luke 4 where uh, Luke talks about Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is all happening in Luke 1 because God is sending a message. Remember, he's beginning a new era of filling people. And you and I, you are living in that era. God's design is that you are filled with the Spirit so you can speak a message from God about Jesus. That's what's happening in Luke 1. That is a part of the Christmas story that we hardly, I've never heard anyone preach this at Christmas, you know, or even preach this from Luke 1. But this is the powerful thing that affects us even today. And Jesus, of course, knew it was powerful and said to his disciples, now 30 years later, Jesus has grown up and he's actually, what I'm about to show you is a passage where he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead, and he's now about to ascend into heaven. So we've just gone from Jesus' birth 30 years, he's died, he's been raised, he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says to his disciples in Acts chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, oh, that sounds familiar, comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? Someone who, you tell me, speaks. Yes, thank you. Someone who speaks a message from God, speaks well, actually, just the word witness means to speak about what you've seen and heard. But a witness for Jesus is someone who's speaking a message from God about Jesus. And so Jesus tells his disciples, this is what's gonna happen. So Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, that, that wasn't the, the goal. That was just the launching, the inauguration, the beginning of a new era where God is filling people with his spirit so they can get, speak a message from him about Jesus. And Jesus is launching it now with his disciples. 
this is, this is what's going to happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And many of you know that, um, that Acts chapter 1 is followed by Acts chapter 2 because you, you know numbers. But you also know that Acts chapter 2 is the recording of the, this promise being fulfilled where the Holy Spirit comes. We call it Pentecost. Well, the Holy Spirit comes from heaven just as Jesus prophesied. <laughs> and look what happens. Um, oh, did I, did I already do that one in chapter 2? Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. So Acts chapter 2, <laughs> it says that the, the, the Spirit came upon them and they all spoke in different languages, so because there, there was different people there from different languages. And so, again, the Holy Spirit coming and, the Holy, and people speaking is the same pattern. And so what I'm trying to help you see now is that the God is telling a story in your life in the same pattern. So I got a little ahead of myself. What's happening in Luke chapter 1 is this inauguration of a new day, and you and I are living in that day. So God is now telling a story in your life. You're in this age, in this era, in this new day. And most Christians, I, I, this is a true statement, most Christians are not living their life filled with the Holy Spirit so they can speak a message about Jesus. You say, well, wait, wait, Jim, Jim you got your theology wrong. Someone can't be a Christian if they're not filled with the Spirit. Very good if you, if you thought that. You're exactly right. The way you become a Christian is the Holy Spirit fills you. He first comes to you and convicts you of your sin. And then when you confess your sins, he fills you and, and applies the forgiveness to your life. And he regenerates. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. He's filling you with power and salvation and, and regeneration. He's changing your life from the inside out. That's all the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. That's how you got saved. So if I've been filled with the Spirit, then why do I need to be filled again? Oh, real easy, because we leak. You didn't get that. We're filled with the Spirit, and, and yet we still sin, and then we, hard things happen in our lives, and, and we, get, we blame God, or we get angry, or we start neglecting God, or we stop coming to church, we stop reading our Bible, and the filling that caused us to get saved begins to leak from our lives because we're sinners, because we're selfish, because we get focused on other things. And so the New Testament pattern is not a one-time filling. I call it a one-time baptism and then multiple fillings. God wants us to live in the rhythm of being filled again and again and again, not once or twice or twi 10 times, but to live in the rhythm of being filled with his spirit again and again. This is why I like to talk about being filled with the spirit like breathing. God never intended for us to breathe once in the morning or once a week and hold our breath all week long. In the same way, God doesn't want us to breathe the Spirit, breathe in the breath of God, the, the Spirit of God, and just kind of hold that for a day or hold that for a week. He wants to live, us to live in the rhythm of being filled with the Spirit. I totally believe that God created the, the rhythm of us breathing physically as a living parable to help remind us, just like you need to take a breath to live physically, you need to take in the breath of God, that's the spirit of God, to live spiritually. We cannot live with big breaths here and there. We're to live in the rhythm of constantly being filled. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says, keep on being filled with the spirit. And by the way, that also says, then speaking to one another. So it's in Ephesians 5 as well. So this idea of being filled with the Spirit so we can speak a message from God about Jesus. 
Because some of you are freaking out. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait, Jim, you want me, if I understand correctly, you want me to tell other people about Jesus. I know, new idea, right? <laughs> That's what the Bible's all about. Not preachers telling about Jesus, but the, the people. This is the point of the church, is that the church gathers to worship together to be equipped and then scatters to talk about Jesus. It's not talk about Jesus on Sunday, worship Jesus on Sunday, hear preaching about Jesus on Sunday, and then boom, Monday through Saturday, I gotta live my own life. No, everything that happens on Sunday is to launch you into the week. So Monday through Saturday, you're speaking about Jesus as you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking messages from God about Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, most Christians don't live that way. This on Sunday, this Monday through Saturday. That's not the design. Christmas happened so your sins could be forgiven and you could be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sent into the whole world to tell the story of Jesus. Makes Christmas a much bigger picture, doesn't it? And you're like, I, I, don't, I, I hear you, but I don't, that's just too big of a step, okay? Actually, we have a little step for you this morning. It's called a Christmas invite card. <laughs> the most important thing you may do this year is to help someone get ready for Christmas by inviting them to one of our Christmas Eve sermons, services. Because here's what's going to happen on Christmas Eve. Hopefully, I'm going to come full of the Holy Spirit for, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to speak a message about Jesus on Christmas Eve. Bring your friends. They're going to hear the story of Christmas. They're going to hear about Jesus. And we're going to pray that you'll bring your friends, people from work. Christmas Eve services is the best opportunity to invite people who don't know Jesus to come hear a message about Jesus. But I'll admit that's a small step, but it's a step. What I'm calling you to is, is beyond this. So, so let's everyone take this step. Well, I want everyone to also take the step of being filled with the Spirit and realizing that your job, yes, your job is a place where you can speak about Jesus. Your neighborhood, the places where you hang out, these are all opportunities for you to speak about Jesus. You, well, I, I don't know what to say about Jesus. Well, here, here's a start. Let's go back through our passage one more time. Just talk about what Jesus has done. He's come to redeem us. Anybody excited about that? Then tell somebody, he's come to save us. How about, people don't believe that God's a merciful God. They think he's an angry judge. Tell them that Jesus came to show us what God's really like. He's a God of mercy. How many people are bound by fear? Jesus rescues us from fear. All of us need to have our sins forgiven. So many people walking in darkness. Nobody, very few people understanding what peace is all about. Jesus came to bring all of this. He's the message. Speak about Jesus. Why? <laughs> because there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There's healing in the name of Jesus. Salvation, forgiveness, freedom, hope in the name of Jesus. And the peace we talked about, that's found in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the Savior of the world, born as a baby, born to set us free. 
born to bring us into the destiny that God created for us. And that is that we are a part of the family of God. He's invited us into his family. He's invited us to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to walk in the power of the Spirit. This is what God's given to us. And it all happens through the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus and us surrendering our life to Jesus and being filled with the Spirit and recognizing who Jesus really is. He's, he's far more important than who won the Heisman Trophy, far more important than who's going to be the next president, far more important than your favorite Christmas movie, your favorite Christmas food. There's nothing in this world that compares to Jesus, his name, his character, who he is, which is why Paul, all jacked up in Philippians 2, says that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, that day is gonna come, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, amen? That's the message. And so I wanna send you with a, a benediction, all right? Here, here it is. May we live full of the Holy Spirit and speak a message from God about Jesus wherever we go. Let me say it this way. May you, here we go. May you live your life, starting today, may you live your life full of the Holy Spirit so you can speak a message from God about Jesus wherever you go. Amen? Um, let, me, let me close in prayer. Then we're gonna sing a song. Then I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna pray. And our campus pastors are gonna pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Filled for the first time or maybe filled for the thousandth time. But every one of us need to be filled. And we're gonna pray for you to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Oh, Father, thank you for what you've done in Jesus through your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you for this inauguration, this new day of filling people with your Spirit so we can speak a message from God about Jesus. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you. We glorify you. We exalt your holy name today. We worship you as the son of the living God, the savior of the world, who has come to not just redeem us, but to change our lives. Lord, I wanna just speak the name of Jesus over every heart and mind right now. I wanna speak the name of Jesus because I know there's peace within your presence. I wanna speak the name of Jesus until every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom in the name of Jesus, because your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. So God, come and break every stronghold, shine through the shadow, burn like a fire. I just wanna speak the name of Jesus over fear and any anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus in this place. May we shout Jesus from the mountains. May we shout Jesus in the streets. May our hearts, our mouths, our lives be all about 
Jesus, for we pray in your holy name. Amen.